I would have taken away um, more than 10 million uh, personally. Um, so it was kind of a, a important financial decision, uh, but we've turned them down and we raised a, a round of capital and uh, wanted to build a second product. Um, so that was like the high, you know, we turned down a large technology company. It's going to be awesome. Yeah. Um, and spent years building the second product and it failed miserably. everyone. We have David Vinko with us today. He is originally from Erie, Pennsylvania. He spent 15 years in Chicago, including Chicago Booth. Now he's in Burlingame, California. He likes to surf, whatever their waves in Northern California. David has a wife and two kids. He also founded two software companies. So the first, eSpark Learning, helps kids learn reading and math in an individualized and fun way. We will talk a little bit more about that. It's phenomenal. It's used in a quarter of elementary schools in the U.S. And a few years ago, David sold some of his shares to a PE firm so that he could hire a CEO and free up some of his time to work on a new venture, which he is currently co-founder and president of The Explanation Company, they are on a mission to simplify the internet for kids. So the premise is that kids can't really write their friends or read or write well enough to use Google or in these days, ChatGPT yet. <laughs> and so the explanation company is helping kids connect more with their friends, call each other, explore their interests. And we'll dive into that. I believe they're currently on their path to product market fit. They also raised a 9 million seed from Andreessen Horowitz. David, it's super, super exciting to have you on. Welcome. Yeah, thank you. I'm excited to, to be here. All right. Well, I just gave a little intro on you, but I always like to ask the guest to tell us who you are from your, in your words, in your perspective. Yeah. Um, I'd say I'm an adventurous dad, uh, an invested husband. And uh, one theme in my career has been a, I'm a kid's software entrepreneur. So the software yes. that I've made for about 15 years is... Uh, you know, the primary audience is uh, children. I love it. Adventurous dad. What are some of the adventures you like to take your kids on or be with on your kids? Oh, man. Um, I've taken my kids on some 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 fun adventures. Uh, probably the, the latest, most adventurous one. I'm surprised my son did this. My daughter stayed on the boat. <laughs> we took a trip to Hawaii. Um, <clears throat> and on the North Shore of, uh, of Oahu, you can take these shark tours. And they oh, wow. take you into the water with no cage and they somehow get sharks to come. And so there's about eight uh, to 10 sharks. They were like <clears throat> 10 feet big. And we were out there with no protection, um, just like right next to these sharks. Um, and it, it sounded, you know, I watched Jaws and we're all scared of sharks. <laughs> but it was a, it was a, almost a spiritual experience because they're so peaceful and calm and they did not attack or I, I didn't even feel uh, scared it was just like a kind of a zen state with these like beasts that you know we've been taught to, to be very scary so that's like i guess one memorable adventure that i take my kids on and some of my friends think i'm insane for taking kids out in the water with, with sharks but um things like that yeah i mean and your son was up for it he surprised you yeah yeah he surprised me um and my daughter is actually kind of a, a little bit more brave and a little bit more um ambitious in that way and She's like, oh, heck no, Dad. I'm not. I'm sick. But 
And so they're like eight, eight, <laughs> eight and eleven. So you get a sense for their ages. That's so sweet. It's also so cool to to tend to then observe them, right? And see how do they make decisions like individually and get to tease that out. So, so wonderful. And then invested husband. Tell me more about that. Yeah. Um, my wife and I have been married uh, for many years now. Um, and we've been through the journey. You know, as a startup entrepreneur, there were, there were hard moments for our, for our marriage, um, but we've kind of uh, stayed with it. Um, and- yeah prioritize you know some special time some date nights and things like that um i'm so glad you bring that up david because totally as an entrepreneur right you're working a ton you need to make there are sprints sprint periods where you need to be all in invested and sometimes that comes at the sacrifice of family and loved ones and so sounds like what got you through some of that was prioritizing time together date nights anything else yeah um I think we have very similar values and I think we both really respect each other in a deep way. Um, and I think that also has kind of helped us, you know, maintain a great relationship. Yeah. The mutual respect and valuing each other. Okay. So let's dial it all the way back, David. We were just talking about your kids and think through you as a kid growing up, what are some of the formative experiences you feel contributed to the person you are today? Yeah. Um, this will sound like the start to a bad joke, but I, I'm the son <laughs> oh, of a nun and a priest. Uh, oh, wow. <laughs> I was mom was a Roman Catholic nun uh, for 10 or 15 years. My father was a Roman Catholic priest for about the same amount of time. Um, and they left the church independently and then um, had four kids. I'm the second mm-hmm. of four kids. Um, and so I think growing up in a house with kind of a strict and, you know, uh, traditional I guess, uh, background, uh, you know, definitely uh, formed me. I think the, the one thing that my parents imbued in me that, that um, has led into my work is like um, this value to have our work help people in some meaningful way. And so um, I got an early interest in business, but I always wanted to like use that interest or um, use my talents to kind of help people in, in some in some way. Um, so that's kind of one formative experience. Um, I have a pretty accomplished older sister. So I was in college and like she was a couple years ahead of me and she graduated first in her class. And I went to her graduation and she was like the class marshal they're called in college. Um, <laughs> and so she set the bar really high. Um, and that was a really motivating force for me to like, you know, um, follow also her lead. establish yeah. your path. Or was yeah. it follow her lead or establish your path for you? Yeah, actually you said it better. It's more established my own path. Um, and, and kind of, you know, live up to that, to that bar. And then a, a little Wait, darker. Let me, let me, let me yeah. pause you. Let me pause you here. Cause sure. so I, I love the like older, I, I so resonate. My older brother is also like super smart, et cetera. We, we grew up in Sierra Leone in West Africa and he was the smartest kid. And then I came along and all these teachers, like literally in the history of the school. And then I, and we used to, we take the A-level exams and he got like whatever score, I think six A's and three B's or something like that. And then I came to the school and everyone was like, oh yeah, this is David's little sister. Jennifer, good luck. David was such a good student. And I was like, okay, I'm going to show every single one of you. And I beat his record. And now I have the record as the best grades ever. Uh, So it was also very motivating for me. That's why I wanted to to just check. But it's very healthy competition. I adore him. It's not like, but, but I'm definitely competitive. That's uh, that's totally what I've got. I think um, (laughs) 
someone said like chips on your shoulder, put chips in your pocket. And I think that <laughs> you know, sibling rivalry is probably responsible for a lot of people's success in life. Um, yeah, it's great. It's great. Okay. And then, and then you were going to say a third, there was a darker event. Oh no, it wasn't that dark, but no, my parents were very loving and very caring. Mm -hmm. uh, my mom, um, made me feel really special, like very special, oh. felt like really like, you know, um, cared for and, and, and special, you know, my dad also, but his way of like kind of relating people is often like force ranking everything. So I'd come home like, dad, I got a great grade. He'd be like, well, how did everyone else do? And like, oh, how does it compare to everyone else? You know? So there was always <laughs> yeah. this like comparison, um, which got a little bit unhealthy. It's like competitiveness, like too far, but it also probably put a chip on my shoulder to like prove mm -hmm. myself and, and try to be the best. So. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Which is great as an entrepreneur, right? Because you're always proving yourself to the market. You're always like figuring out a way to make things work. You also, yeah, you also mentioned uh, you got interested in business early. How did that happen? Yeah, I, in high school, um, I went from like working as a, I had jobs as a kid. So I was like, a, uh, I mowed lawns my neighborhood for, for money. And then I got a job at the grocery store. Being a clerk mm. was a hard job. Um, not, yeah. Not glorious and then i applied to the coolest job as a high school student in erie pennsylvania was this surf shop called calypso um and we sold surfboards and snowboards and it was like on the beach and it was like yeah the thing you know that yes that, that sounds very cool um so i got a job there and like the, the owner like at like 16 took me out to vegas to do the buying for the upcoming snowboarding season i was a huge snowboarder mm. and so i got to see and this was like when was early 90s the snowboarding industry was just kind of like getting yeah, formed, growing and so i saw all these like entrepreneurs like you know creating these like really interesting companies and, and there was a lot of creativity to it and there were rebels a little bit that kind of like aligned with that idea mm -hmm. um and so i was like boy i want to be an entrepreneur like i want to start my own snowboard company just like these guys so i kind of like yeah. got exposure to entrepreneurship that, that of the kind that i was excited by and that got me interested in business Oh, it's so exciting, really. Like, I'm feeling it in my body, like, picturing the 16-year-old, like, on the threshold, on the cusp of this burgeoning industry, and you really like snowboarding, and all these brands are coming up, and you're like, hey, I can do this, too. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, beautiful. And so, was eSpark Learning your first company, or did you did you try stuff before that? No, it was really my first company. Um, I think my, my parents, every time... You know, I wanted to be an entrepreneur and they kept being like, well, get experience first and get a good job. Mm -hmm. first. You know, they're a little more traditional in that sense. So I kind of followed that. I, I got a job out of school, um, out of undergrad, teaching executives like finance and strategy with computer simulations. So I was like kind of a consultant coming into large companies, but I was like helping them learn with technology. Um, so that's kind of a trend. Then I did a graduate degree at the University of Chicago. Um, I focused on entrepreneurship, which is kind of a silly thing. Like, going to school to, to learn. To learn, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, I wouldn't advise it, but I did learn a lot from it. And I, I enjoyed the experience. And then I did consulting for four years at ZS Associates. And then mm -hmm. I was basically like loving everything about it, but it wasn't like my, it wasn't just like way to like help people. I felt like I was just was missing this meaning. Um, and so I took a sabbatical from consulting and I read this book called Work Hard, Be Nice. Mm. It is story of the KIPP Charter School Network. And KIPP is just a really inspiring organization. They go into the poorest communities in the U.S. They set up elementary and middle and high schools. And their goal is to get 
many more kids to and through college than otherwise would. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, it was really inspiring to me because they have a dramatic increase on the number of poor kids getting to and through college. And I thought that was really important work. And so I went into the KIPP school there in Chicago um, and I observed it. And it seemed like while the outcomes were really inspiring to me, I felt like the, the invention wasn't done yet. They were mm -hmm. still just depending on teachers to work 60 hours a week, you know, for years trying to help these kids individualize instruction and get these kids to and through college. And the learning experience as a kid <clears throat> um, seemed a little more like prison than like this joyous learning experience where like, you know, they're going to unlock um, their future. So, um, yeah, I started eSpark as a way to really support KIPP teachers and, and almost like scale the work that they were doing. Because as I yeah. interviewed the KIPP teachers, they were like, well, my biggest challenge is as a fourth grade teacher, some kids are coming in kindergarten level reading and other kids are reading chapter books, like fifth grade level reading. And so how do I meet these unique needs of all these kids? And it felt obvious that technology could, could help with that problem. Um, and then the other problem I saw, as I mentioned, is like kids were really checked out. The teacher had a lot of excitement, but kids were really kind of bored in school. And I, I remember that feeling. And so I'm like, I don't, you know, that's not right. Like your kids got to be excited. And so I saw technology as a way to kind of bring some excitement and joy into the learning experience for kids as well. And so great that you did that. I want to pull us back just a little bit because I think you brought up an important point too. So you 16 year old self really loved, was interested in entrepreneurship. Parents were like, get some real experience first, which is such a common uh, message, right? And parents are doing this because they mean the, they mean the best for us, right? Like this generation made it by getting good jobs. That's, that's like that boomer generation that the U S was built on. Uh, and, and it's what they saw that was successful for them. I'm curious now in hindsight and just like in the context of your own kids, uh, how do you, and being an entrepreneur, what is your current thinking on that? Um, if you want to be an entrepreneur, the best way to do that is to be an entrepreneur. Um, so I've actually, you know, my kids have floated these ideas. I think kids should start 10 businesses before, <laughs> before they graduate from high school. Oh my gosh. I love that idea. Yes. And you know, just get exposure to it. It's not for everybody, but I think many more people would be entrepreneurs if they had a little bit of cycles with it. Like you've, you've done 10 term papers by the time you graduate from high school, you've done lots of other things 10 times. Um, mm -hmm. so my kids are, are, have finished their second business. So the first business was a shave ice business. Um, <laughs> it was so cute, like typical, like lemonade stand. No one was coming. Like we live in a kind of a dense little neighborhood. <laughs> like no one stopped by. One of the kids was like, well, I'll I'll go door to door. I'm going to like knock on people's door. He's like, whatever, <laughs> kindergartner. Goes up to everybody's you know door. Is like, do you want some shave ice? And just did not care at all if they said no. He's like, eh, mm. okay, you're lost. Kind of, kind of mindset. <laughs> it's the best shave ice on the block. <laughs> yeah, totally. And they made like 50 bucks and they just lost their mind with how much money they made that day. <laughs> they were so excited. And they talked about it for like months. Um, and then that kind of died down. And all the kids like wanted to be a part of it though. I, it was pretty... Mm -hmm amazing because i guess it was a sign of like kids taking charge and doing something and leading and, and adults were not really driving it yeah and then they did a t this like uh t-shirt business where they would like they learned how to um tie-dye t-shirts right they, very very cool very hip among the kids i have nieces they're very into it too, too yeah. <laughs> so I and, think that, and and do, do they sell can, where can i buy my t-shirt is yeah, it so annoying or 
Yeah, I helped him create a website. <laughs> oh my gosh. Logo. It's really adorable. Um, <laughs> really okay. Thought, yeah. So, so I think for anyone that wants to be an entrepreneur, just be an entrepreneur. I think that's the, the cycle. Whether you're eight or if you're you know older in your career, I think way faster cycles. I, I listened to the last guest you had on your podcast and he had started his first couple of businesses that didn't go well, but he said it like really set him up for a massive success in his third one. Yeah. I think that's how it works. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So now great tangent coming back to eSpark. So you had this insight of, man, this is totally solvable with technology. Also, potentially we can give more individualized learning because some of the kids who are checked out, I'd better board because it's just too easy for them. Maybe, um, maybe we can meet their, their needs and levels better. What, how, how did that go? And then I'm very curious specifically about what are the lessons you learned from a product and leadership wise, speaking of starting a business, starting businesses to learn and grow and figure out how to start a business. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, uh, so many lessons in that it was like highs, very high highs and very low lows. Um, so I, um, I was the product manually. So one of the lessons I've learned is like often like uh, Paul Graham says, do things that don't scale. And I've kind of lived that in both of these startup journeys. So like really understanding what customers want. In this case, it was kids. I was like uh, a, a summer school teacher for kids. And I was trying to make a summer school that would like help them learn and accelerate their learning and be really fun. And at the end of the summer, um, the principal was like, David, like you can't end the club. Like the, the club mm -hmm. has a waiting list. All the kids are coming to my office asking how they get into the club. Um, so I knew I was kind of onto something with kids by just basically like doing it kind of manually without any software. Um, and uh, the, I guess the window that, that I saw is like iPads were just invented and they were coming into schools in a really big way. And there was like computers in schools for years. So that wasn't necessarily new, but no one knew what to do with iPads. And iPads didn't run, you know, web software that well. And so there was this kind of like rich diversity of like learning apps that, that are, I, I built a product to kind of help kind of leverage uh, for, for kids learning. Um, it was a lot of fun. We grew revenue. We raised a series A. Um, we got the company to a, to a really great place. Um, I'm not allowed to say who, but um, one of the big technology providers, like the big, big tech companies, heard about us and heard about how much kids were kind of like succeeding with our product. Um, uh, they basically offered to buy, buy the product or buy the company. Um, that was kind of an, an important moment. Um, uh, and, uh, you know, I would have taken away um, more than 10 million uh, personally. Um, so it was kind of an important financial decision. Uh, but we turned them down and we raised a, a round of capital and uh, wanted to build a second product. Um, so that was like the high, you know, we turned down a large technology company, uh, you know, from an acquisition offer. And, uh, we're going to build a new product. It's going to be awesome. Yeah. Um, and spent years building the second product and it failed miserably. <laughs> like just mm. slowly though, like it wasn't a fast, uh, a fast, uh, you know, it wasn't a crash and burn. It was kind of a slow burn. Yeah. There's like lots of exciting news and like lots of signs we're onto something. And we recruited some amazing people who came to the company just for this new product vision. It was an extremely thrilling product vision. And mm -hmm. this didn't work and customers didn't buy it. And, you know, it had been like two or three years revenue for the company now declining. 
um, mm. it, right across these two products. It was awful. I had to cut half the company. We had to like drop this like ambitious, exciting vision and just say, it's not working and we don't have the resources to do two things. We're going to go back to kind of like the old thing. Yeah. I met with like 10 or 11 investors and I think I had 11 out of 11 tell me just shut this thing down. Like many people were like, startups don't turn around. Like there's no turnarounds in startups. They just like, this is going to die. So sh shut it down and, and, and move on. You know, you're, you're young, you can still do another one. Um, but some of the best people stayed and we, we had an inkling for a new startup within the startup. Um, so we changed the business model from like enterprise sales to freemium. And we really invested and dramatically improved the product um, so that it could be cross-platform and not just on the iPad. Um, and we turned the business around. We had hockey stick growth in usage. That's how we kind of grew, you know, this like freemium uh, business right. model grow to, you know, be one in four elementary schools use this product. Um, we got revenue growth. We got millions of dollars of EBITDA. It was like a, a finally, you know, turned it around. It was a great, great kind of turnaround. Um, and then... I had some debt that I had to refinance, so I had to raise capital. I just wanted to re to, to pay down the debt, but I couldn't just raise a small amount of capital. The only offers I got were like large amounts of capital for a majority stake. And I was kind of bummed because I didn't want to sell a majority stake. I knew what that meant. You know, someone else is calling the, the big shots at the company instead of me and the, and the board that I had assembled. Um, but it was the best option for the company, so we took it. Um, and then, you know, I... I uh, just saw what the job was like. And I realized like I wasn't for the job of a private equity back, you know, yeah. um, company. So I, I resigned and we found a new CEO who's doing off to a great start. Um, and I'm still on the board, you know, kind of like helping where I can. Um, but that gave me the opportunity to, uh, yeah, to, to start a new one. But okay. Your second question was about, but let's, what, let's pause. Cause there was a lot in there. What a ride, David. Yeah, it was a, it was a long ride. And so from the product vision that, was meant to be exciting it didn't work out what lesson was there why do you feel in hindsight it didn't work out was it like not enough demand testing was it something else insight wise that you could pull from that uh so many things so a small company um sub 10 million you can't do two products it's very hard to do two things at once so that's one it's like should we have even done that at that moment um we mm -hmm. had so factors that led us to, to believe that we, we needed to, but it's really hard to have an organization do two things, a small organization. Um, it was also built on an ambitious vision. It wasn't connected to a real problem or a, a pain point that users felt. And we started to iterate towards it over time as we realized that, but it was like, no, it was like almost a vitamin. It's like, yeah, not an aspirin. Yeah, exactly. So that I've definitely learned is like, try not to chase a vision um, if it's not really connected to a user problem. Um, and that's such a, it's, it sounds very easy, but to your point, it sounds very intellectually easy. Yeah, just don't do that if users don't need it. And yet so many entrepreneurs fall into that trap and it is painful and uh, yeah, it's very real, right? It's like, you want to you wanna not solve a problem that you think is cool. You want to solve a problem that your users actually have and are willing to pay for. Yeah, exactly. So I've become, and demand testing you mentioned, that was another thing. I've now gotten into the habit of testing weekly with users until we're at product market fit. And so like I do, I'm doing Zoom calls today with a bunch of random kids. Mm -hmm. 
you know, to test out new kind yeah. of product type ideas. I think that helps you stay really connected to like your users and, and the real, you know, demand. That might be. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think it's also, it's so natural, right? I think uh, just from my work that I do, right, with coaching, it's, you have facts, you have things that happen, and then each of us interpret these facts in our own heads. We form our own thoughts, opinions, and judgments, which are our own stories. And it's very natural because we haven't really been taught, oh, these are like, we need to be separating the facts from the stories. And then all of these stories tend to inform our decision-making where like this whole journey of getting to product market fit, understanding user needs is truly about separating the facts from the stories and actually listening to the users and separating our stories from their own. And, and so I just want to also uh, share and be being kind to ourselves as entrepreneurs and realizing that that's a very normal thing. And we, it's just a habit, a new habit, a new skill we need to learn and invest in. Yeah, it's it's really hard. And I think I've, I've got a new name for it. You've heard what you were describing a little bit. Um, I've seen a lot, which is like confirmation bias. Mm -hmm. So you believe something and then you see data to support your belief, right? It's a, it's a very common psychological phenomenon. I've got a new name, a new term, which is like creator confirmation bias. Mm. If you create something and put it out into the world, you desperately want to hear that people like love it, you know? Yeah. Your baby, like all of everyone loves my, my, my baby. Um, right. And so the confirmation bias is like 10 times stronger when you created the thing and you're looking for signs that people want it. Um, and my co-founder um, that I'm working with now, Keith uh, Schacht, is really good at this. He can be put like months of work into something and then really step into the user's shoes and be like, so you don't really love it. It's, it's not interesting to them, you know, and it's really hard to do. Um, and I think that's part of the trick. Yeah. And even hearing for are these users just being nice to us because people also want to be nice to you, right? They don't want to tell you to your face. I'm not actually going to use this. They're like, oh, yeah, it's pretty cool. Uh, and so just really getting around that and asking questions in a way that you encourage folks to tell you the, the cold, hard truths. So that there's so much in that field in of itself. Okay. Um, and then and then now getting to the hockey stick growth. Was that because of implementing some of these learnings? Was it something else? A combination of things? Yeah. Um, we had redesigned the product for teachers so we really invested a lot in teachers we realized teachers are they're not the buyers of the product they're not even the users but they are the gateway for a product in elementary schools they can try a free product and if they like it they can advocate to their principal to, to buy it and so we really focused on instead of the administrator buyer and the student which is kind of where we focused historically we decided like really nail product market fit for teachers and we iterated a lot on the pitch and the value for them. <clears throat> and luckily we had a product that really did solve a pain point for them. Um, and so we kind of gave it away for free and we designed a viral mechanism where, <clears throat> and we, we borrowed this from others in the industry, but <clears throat> upon sign up, you haven't tried the product yet. We'd ask you to share it with your co-teachers. <clears throat> and teachers are the type where they're very, giving and they're excited about new products and they <clears throat> about um 50 of teachers would sign up for eSpark free trial and share it with their colleagues <clears throat> so the viral coefficient was was really great and that helped us basically like we nailed the pitch we knew we were onto something teachers got excited about it and in that moment of excitement when they uh were just discovering it we asked them to share it with their colleagues and they did 
And so that kind of led to this kind of amazing hockey stick growth. Um, I think we, in our heyday, we had like one, one fall, we had like teachers in 65 countries sign up for eSpark free trial. Um, Oh my goodness. Wow. Viral in the U.S. and also kind of abroad somehow. Totally. And just like understanding your customer, their behaviors, right. And really honing in on how can I make this both super valuable and easy for them to share, given that teachers tend to want to share products that are valuable for kids. That's so incredible. Amazing. Great story and great lessons. Thank you, David. Let's transition to the explanation company, which I'm so curious about. Um, How does the internet for kids work, David? Yeah. Well, Excuse me. I'll tell you when it when we figure it out. Um. <laughs> okay. So, like, I guess paint the picture for me. I log in to Lava, which is the browser that you're building. Mm-hmm. What does it look like? And like, I have nieces between the ages of sixteen and nine. So, I don't. Is this maybe for the nine and ten year old who like Roblox, or the twelve year old as well who likes Roblox? Like, yeah. what does it look like? Um. <clears throat> I could share my screen and show you the product. Would you like to see oh, it? Oh, yeah. Okay. I think you can. Yes, that would be amazing. Okay. Um, so we have a pretty lengthy onboarding process that describes the product um, to kids and, and helps them kind of set it up. But once you're set up, these are my list of friends. I can see a couple of friends are actually online now, that little green dot. And if mm-hmm. I click on my friend Sonia's name, I'll see the list of recent games that she's played. Kids are really curious, like, what are my friends up to? Oh, they're playing yeah. super and these are Roblox games. So Roblox is just like very dominant among this age group. Something like 80% of kids play Roblox um, almost every day. My Both of my kids yeah. do. And I can call my friend. Um, so kids are using this to connect with their real friends, call each other, and then they often go into a Roblox kind of gaming session. Um, so that's the main feature. We also have this like kind of news feed of like what your friends have been up to, what games they've been playing. Um, and we have um, some content about the Roblox games. So uh, I've been playing Tower Defense Simulator with my son. So that's like number two there. Um, and we have like codes for that game and, and secrets for that game. If I click on that, it'll start speaking out loud. And I, I don't want to kind of ruin the demo. But yeah, that's that's the basic that's the basic kind of demo of, of where we are today. So very interesting. So again, for folks who are listening on Spotify or Apple or some other podcasting platform, it's like on the left-hand side, you see all your friends, those that are online come to the top, kind of like you would on another messaging app. And then you see their games that they're playing on the the, the remaining 75% of the screen uh, and that they've played recently. Very, very cool. And so initially starting with Roblox kids, because this is such a, they're, they're so involved, like you said, right? 80% of kids in this demographic play every day. Yeah. And, and there's a, a problem that they have, um, you know, just stepping back, I guess, the, um, the primary work of children is play. Um, since the dawn of human time, um, even mammals that are not humans, like when they're yeah. kids, they play, like, you know, they play and play is, a, is the way to learn the skills you'll need to be a successful adult. Um, and Something happened between when I grew up, I had lots of free time to go out in the woods and play in, in, in the neighborhood yeah. and go explore. And, you know, my kids are, you know, eight and 11 and it's like they're locked in our house. Like no kids go out to the neighborhood and play. It, it's really a, a, a tragedy, I believe. Um, so they're in their homes after school and they just want to play. They just want to play with their friends. Um, but if you make a new friend at school and you want to play, you can't 
you know, it's not socially acceptable to kind of walk outside. Many people are scared of the dangers, um, even though it's much safer now than it ever has been to be a, 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 a child. Uh, but parents don't let their kids go out and, and play. And so the only option is like, well, maybe we could play on a call together, you know, mm -hmm. on our screen time. Um, but it's pretty hard to get connected to your friends because you, you don't have phone numbers. Uh, sharing an Apple ID is a pretty complicated process. <laughs> kind of locked from these like social connections that they want to have. Um, yeah. And our product helps helps kids connect with their real friends there. I love this. You're bringing this up. I wholeheartedly agree. Play is so important, even for adults. Like up until like we're still kids, right? We're just big kids now. Uh, and like stimulates creativity, innovation, like all of these new ideas, energy, uh, excitement, adventure, which are all they, they're such positive contributors to being a successful adult in your own words. Um, I'm curious, what are some of the habits that kids form via like being more connected and online and how are you thinking about that? Because obviously I know like with parents, we want to also protect kids attention. So like screen time, short attention spans, being able to still stay focused. So how are you thinking about that with respect to the explanation company? Yeah. Um, I have this like hierarchy of screen time and most parents do. So the hierarchy is something like we don't want, you know, some parents are just like no screen time. And then if you ask them like, well, what if they were like FaceTiming with their grandmother? Is that bad screen timing? No, 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 that's not. What if they were <laughs> reading a book on that screen? Like, well, that's not bad. No, no, no. So there's like some good things of, of screen time. And like, I think the, the one that most parents feel pretty guilty about is just like zoning out on YouTube, watching like endless YouTube shorts or TikTok like videos. It just feels like, um, you know, candy for your brain. Um, and uh, when my kids do that, I limit it and, and, and I don't love that. But when they do it, you know, I don't, I don't love it. I don't feel like it's really, really helping them. A little bit, it's okay to just veg out and watch some, mm -hmm. watch some like silly videos. Um, I think what we're doing is helping to take that solo screen time and make it a collaborative play exercise. And so when my kids mm -hmm. are on a call with their friends playing Roblox, I'm noticing all of these skills that I'm trying to do at work, which is like, what's our strategy? Who's going to pick the game? How are we going to win in this collaborative kind of strategy game? Um, we have to co cooperate and collaborate. Um, so I see just just really great things happening when kids are playing, even on a call and they're playing a video game. I see actually kind of like some important skill development happening. Um, and most parents do. Like they're like, oh, you know, screen time's over. If your friend's calling and, and you're talking to your friend, most parents will like let that extend extend the screen time. Um, so that's an important part um, of what we're trying to do. The, the other thing we're trying to do is use the screen time to create more in-person time. And so mm. um, playing with your friends used to be just like you get home from school and just go out in the neighborhood. Now it has to be coordinated and scheduled by adults. And so we're trying to use this communication app the kids have to help them uh, schedule more in-person play dates with their friends. Because I think in-person is just like many, many times better than a, than a yeah. Screen time are you doing that with nudges or does it just not more naturally come up because they're more in touch um we are this is like a feature we have not built i'm testing okay, it okay. Kids okay. oh great yeah and and we'll learn how it goes maybe the kids don't want it <laughs> we yeah. don't know maybe that's for us for the parents <laughs> yeah, exactly. uh, but but that's exciting that's very cool um and then what about I, you I read on the website stuff about kids being able to search for things, learn more things. Is that yet incorporated into Lava or not yet? 
we are really excited about that. Um, and we have prototyped 10 different solutions to that. And if I showed you a, like a demo for one of the prototypes, you'd be like, that is amazing. Kid mm -hmm. just like taps a button, ask the, ask the internet any question. And we had open AI and images. We basically built a video presentation to any kid's question. And it was safe. There was never, you know, we, we kind of made sure that like they wouldn't get a video that told them to put their hand in blender or something like crazy. Mm -hmm. um, just mind-blowing to all the adults. And the, we want this for the kids and we want kids to be excited by this. And they just weren't that excited. Um, so we still haven't figured out how to get the content experience that help kids like ask questions, get mm -hmm. interesting answers and, and kind of learn and explore their interests. We haven't really nailed that part yet. Yeah. Yeah, that sounds a little bit like the learning from the previous startup that we we talked about, um, and and you can't force the users. I'm I'm personally just given my knowledge of kids. I wonder if that comes later, like when they're a bit older. That's when they get more interested in googling things and searching things. Yeah, it could be that. It could also be like most of their day during the school day is spent learning and you know getting explained mm, that too. Things. And maybe yeah. when they're home, that they they have it in a different mode, but. Yeah. Yeah. Which is great, right? They're kids. Maybe we need to take a page out of their book and chill out a little more. <laughs> um, okay. And then uh, I think you mentioned a little bit on safety, but just what are, how are you thinking about safety? I understand it's like kids, they get to know their friends. Um, is there any risk that you are considering proactively? Our our stance at the outset is a little controversial and our belief is that um safety is not a concern it's mm -hmm. like kids are not in danger online i'm mm -hmm. sure there's some stories about you know things and, and and like statistically but like um roblox is seen as this like very dangerous place a lot of parents are like i'm so scared of my kids on roblox mm -hmm. i've played roblox for hours with my kids there's like zero danger there. Like, you know, the, the, it's pretty locked down and it, it's pretty safe. Um, that being said, you know, we're, we're uh, kids and their parents are entrusting us with their kids' times. And we take that responsibility very seriously. So um, there, we make clear that you can only connect with real friends that you know in person. And we have mm -hmm. like double verified that. So one user has to verify that. Another user has to verify that. We also request um, you have to get parents permission to actually share your real voice and your real video with with anyone um and so we we definitely want this to be a safe uh it's a safe environment um but the default for most adults is like oh it must be really dangerous out there on the internet mm -hmm, like, mm -hmm. actually not it's actually unusable for most kids and it's inaccessible for them yeah yeah so interesting now like why is that the default do you think i think something happened between the 90s and now where like it's called safetyism, but people are maybe have heard horror stories in the news about, you know, trauma to kids or something. But I think when I grew up, my parents were not worried. I was out in the woods by the railroad tracks, like putting things on the railroad tracks. Like I was actually in danger. Um, and my parents did not, you know, so I think I took responsibility because my parents were there guiding it. I think parents now have this like fear that the kids are going to be kidnapped. And, and, and I don't know what the source of that is, but I think the mindset among parents has changed and it's much more worried about you know, children's safety. And I think that's fine. Um, but it actually, if it, 
if it kills kids' autonomy and their own agency and their own ability to face risk and deal with it, it's actually harmful. So I think a lot of the safetyism and a lot of the worry about kids actually hurts them because it protects them from things that they really need to kind of like learn how to learn how to cope with. Um, I'm a I'm a soccer coach um, and I love this oh, league. Yeah. It, it's yeah. Anyway, so, uh, soccer, it's like really meant to be a very positive and not super competitive soccer environment. Um, but I noticed like it goes a little far, like uh -huh. technically not allowed to keep score. If you are winning, you can't win by too much because then the other team might feel bad. And so literally if, if our team wins by more than like four goals, I have to write a note to the commissioner about why my kids scored a, a goal when I should have told them to stop scoring goals, you know? So it's like, we're trying to protect the losing team from like feeling bad about losing by five goals instead of four. I don't know if that's actually helping. It's like, yeah, you know, it should be a lesson. In life you do lose and it's yeah. about learning how to pick yourself back up, not about protecting you from losing. Exactly. Yeah. Um, I think that's such an interesting point. So for me, uh, so for instance, I have this observation about suburbia, right? And you mentioned now parents don't want to let their kids go out. And I think there have been studies that show that kids, for instance, who grow up in Amsterdam or like a walkable European city where kids literally can walk to school from age eight or seven and they bike and they go meet their friends walking in their neighborhoods versus kids living in suburbia in the U.S. or Canada. The kids in suburbia in the U.S. or Canada are being driven by their parents to school and every single activity through the age that they can start driving themselves. And it does tend to kind of take away their agency to your point, take away a sense of growth and maturity uh, that these kids who are getting to live more autonomously get. Um, but yeah, I think it's all, it, it does, it still comes back to like the parents and what do they feel safe uh, in? And I guess, I don't like, how walkable is your city? How accessible are all of these things? And um, I think it's it's ongoing and it depends too on where you live and how you grow up and all of this stuff. But, I, but it's definitely on my mind. I, I think about that too a lot. You're bringing up a really, a really good point. And, you know, it's not a coincidence that there is a teen mental health crisis in, in America. Um, yeah. You know, most kids have the experience you described, like they're, they're not out uh, with autonomy, facing risk and, and having some agency. Um, and one third of U.S. teen girls contemplate suicide. Um, it's, it's just terrible. Um, my 14 year old niece actually recently committed suicide. Um, it was just traumatic so hear that. Yeah. For, for the family and, and for me, it's just awful, but it's not, it's not that unusual, unfortunately. Um, and uh, something is really broken when that many kids are thinking about suicide. Something's really broken for kids. Um, and I yeah. don't know silver bullets, but I do think part of it is like this overprotection, the safetyism streak, which is ironic because we want to keep kids safe. But actually keeping them safe is actually putting them, I think, in danger in, in some way. Yeah. And by no means are either of us experts on this research here, but just like this, I've heard this too, right? I'm on a board of an undergrad institution and 30% of their students come in now with anxiety. 30% of undergrad kids coming from high school. Anyway, um, so on to helping kids experience their own challenges and failures and onto that growth. Let's switch gears a little bit, David. Um, I want to talk about the business side of the explanation company and y'all, uh, raised 9 million in seed and 
for a lot of entrepreneurs, that is quite the accomplishment. And so just curious from that journey, what you can share for others looking to raise for maybe for the first time and don't have as much experience, what was, what was helpful there for you? Yeah. Um, so I was not part of the initial raise with A16Z at, at this company. I was part of like, the, we raised a few million dollars after that. So we've raised actually more than 9 million. Okay, um, congrats. And I've raised money at my last company about four times. Um, and so I have learned a couple things. Um, and I've given this advice to some entrepreneurs who have taken it and they're like, oh my gosh, thank you so much. Mm -hmm. um, so, so generally, I think it's like, um, you have to play you have to play the game there's a little bit of a game to it and you've got to lead and drive the process and not ever let like a, 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 an investor kind of like take you off course uh so i think generally i think raising money like devote a serious amount of time to it like you know three to six months and make that your job is to raise money for the, for the company and uh really lead and drive a process with you know timelines and um uh, a, a rigorous kind of kind of like uh, discipline to it um and play hard to get the best investors you know somehow see a signal if you're not super responsive to them and and they feel like they're gonna they're gonna lose out so there's this whole like fomo there's a great silicon valley episode about negging your investor it goes way over the top it's totally true like it's totally <laughs> true if you are kind of a little bit of a jerk um it's, it's there's like the parallels with dating are profound if you're a little bit of a jerk and you're a little bit hard to get, people kind of want it more. Um, so there's some of that going on. Um, and definitely and, lead that with a good product, right? Good good vitals, like your company and business needs to be healthy. You can't just do that if your business is not doing well. Listeners. Of course. <laughs> yes, of course. Um, I think understand the other side, which is like their profile for investor, for, for investment. Like venture capitalists, like, hundred, you know, 50 to a hundred million dollar business. is not really a win for them. It's a massive win for an entrepreneur sometimes, but like they're really swinging for like a massive opportunity and you have to speak their language and really know that you're aligned and your company is aligned with what they want to do. Yeah. Um, and so our, in our case, you know, we sought like to build the internet for kids and we see a billion internet users as, you know, children that we could really help and, and support. And so that massive opportunity, I think, got, got um, a lot of investors pretty excited. Um, yeah, I think on your website, y'all share that kids are the biggest demographic entering the internet. And this is a huge opportunity uh, for them. Definitely very exciting. So then what is your, your vision? Like, I'll, I'll, I'd love to hear you paint that picture. Yeah, um, I think in, in one sense, we want to help kids be kids again and we want to yeah. help kids play again um because so much time is just spent zoning out on youtube instead of out playing with their friends in in real life so it would be great if we had a platform that helped unlock kids connecting with their real friends playing on their devices if that's if that's the only option and actually yeah. getting together with their friends in real life you know parent schedule um i think that would enable kids to like start to have some agency, start to have some independence, um, deal with conflict, deal with setbacks, deal with emotions, deal with like, what are we going to do when, you know, and I think whenever there's a play date, I schedule a ton of play dates for my kids because I really believe in this. And I, I don't lead. I don't let like, adults lead. It's like, well, what are we going to do? 
I have to figure something yeah. out. Um, so I think there's just so many great things that happen when kids have some space, some freedom, some autonomy. Um, and so I would love for all kids in the world to experience that sense of play that frankly, most, most kids did, you know, years ago. Um, because I think it's, it's really helpful for their growth. Um, the other thing that we'd love to do is to help kids discover and explore their interests. So this gets back to kind of the Google search um, and some of the learning outcomes. But kids are really curious. They have tons of questions. Adults don't answer their questions satisfactory. You know, you're often busy or you don't know. Why is that? Yeah. Most of the time you're like, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Well, wouldn't it be amazing if we could give kids something like Google is for adults? Like, you yeah. can ask any question or chat GPT now. Ask it any question. You'll get a really profound, knowledgeable answer on it. Um, and so I, I do believe that, that we'll do that. I think, we're, you know, we've, we've failed a couple of prototypes, but like I think that, that um, we'll eventually... That's part of the that. process. Yeah. Yeah. And I love it so much. It's like, to me, what that brought up is to... I wonder whether receiving an unsatisfactory answers from adults or adults not knowing tends to quell or that uh, thirst, that curiosity. And I love this potential of kids just being able to dive into that and explore more of it and it be more and more fueled, fuel that fire of curiosity even more. And who knows what what that will spur in the new generation. It's really exciting prospect. So very, very cool. Very cool thing that you're working on. David, we are running out of time. This went longer because it was such an interesting conversation. Let me just wrap up with asking you in your design of your life today, what's important to you? What are you prioritizing? Yeah. Um, I prioritize uh, time with my kids a lot. I prioritize. Um, so I, uh, I play with my kids a lot. Uh, yeah. I love to play. I, I'm actually, some of my friends tell me like, a kid that looks like an adult. So I can go out and play with my kids and my friends. It's quite, it's quite fun. Um, I prioritize um, a lot of sports. So I surf, um, I play soccer, I'm a mountain biker, rock climbing, I'm a bad golfer. Um, just, and I've never met a sport that I wouldn't like want to like try. You know, try. Yeah. Um, and so I think physical activity is kind of a, a big importance for me. And I, my first startup journey, I didn't, I just like checked out with all mm. friendships um, mm. and like worked entirely. And now I'm like investing a lot more in like, you know, uh, friendships. So um, I've got a good kind of friend network. And um, my wife is sometimes a little jealous. She's like, you have so many, so many fun things to do. Wow. Cause I'm doing soccer last night and soccer the night before. And then there's a dad's night at the bar. Um, so I'm, I'm kind of like, trying to be more balanced in my life and not just be, uh, you know, work the whole time. Yeah. It sounds like you're a lot fuller and, and that that brings so much more of you to each of these other aspects too, than like your work, your partnership, your kids and your adventure. Yeah. What a great note to end on David. This was wonderful getting to know you, getting to know more about the vision for the internet for kids. Very excited to follow along. Thank you for coming on and we'll chat again soon. All right. Thanks so much for having me. Thank you for listening. Don't forget to subscribe. And if you like what you hear, leave a review and share.